You're listening to Marketing Major at Josh and Mo, a podcast created for students by students who are curious about marketing. All right, so uh, welcome back to our listeners. We've got an exciting episode today. Uh, we're sitting here across from Roger's Place at uh, Berlin Communications, and we have Pete from Berlin Communications, who's the creative director on today and he's also the partner at sea change brewing one of my favorite breweries so with that uh, we're going to crack open a beer to start off the podcast here cheers everyone cheers that's some good beer yes yeah. <laughs> uh, so pete let's have you start off just by introducing yourself and a bit of your background right on. uh yeah well well first off thanks for having me on uh it's always great to be part of these things and i never really imagined myself in the position i am now but Basically, yeah, I'm Pete Wynn. I'm a, uh, overall just a creative in general. Um, I started off, I guess, as a as an illustrator, and the whole point of that was just for me to be creative, for me to create things from nothing. Um, and I never thought I'd be a designer. I never thought I'd be an art director. I never thought I'd be where I am today. But um, that drive to sort of build things from nothing and to to create things and to move things forward has always been a passion of mine, unknowingly. And yeah. All the things that I do now is thanks to that. Yeah, sweet. Where'd you start off as an illustrator? Um, I mean, it depends on how far back we want to go, but I was huge, <laughs> you know, like younger. Um, this is, of course, in the 90s, and I'm, um, cartoons is huge. Comic books is a huge thing. Like, I love Marvel back in the day. And I always just wanted to, um, I always like seeing all these ideas on paper, right? Like, And I think it was my dad who encouraged me that if you, if you like cartoons so much and if you liked comic books so much, why don't you try drawing it yourself? So... I, I started trying to mimic these artists that I really liked. And I, weirdly enough, had a lot more um, endurance and a lot more sort of like stick to itness back when I was younger, where I could <laughs> sit and draw for hours and days and days and just keep going for it. Um, I don't have that kind of patience anymore these days. But um, it was just this idea that like I like Ninja Turtles to be able to draw them because I get to have them do whatever I want. And then I get to make stories about it and kind of build on it. And that's always kind of stuck with me. And I think um, it, it, it was always a lifestyle thing. It was always part of what I do that it never became an idea that this could be a job for me. Like I did it because it was fun and I enjoyed doing it. And then I made my own characters. I made my own comic book when I was younger and I kept doing these things. And then when it came to um, after I kind of graduated high school, I had this um, this sort of weird position where I was like, well, what am I going to do with my life? And Weirdly enough, you'd think that I would automatically think that I would want to be some sort of graphic designer or, 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 or creative in general. But actually, my headspace was in a completely different spot. And I almost went to the U of A and I was going to take uh, computer sciences. I was going to go in this whole career that had nothing to do with being creative the way <laughs> I am now. And um, it sort of, I ended up stopping that. And I took a year off of just, after high school, I took a year off and it was a, crazy year of my life where I completely derailed my whole life and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And funny enough, I started within that year, I started um, playing music and I was in a, it was in a band for a long time. We wrote and recorded a bunch of albums and we went on tour. And within on that, Spotify? yeah, we are on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you want to plug the band a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can find us on Spotify. The funny thing is uh, our last, our last EP and our last tour was about eight years ago. And it took us eight years to come up with our most recent record. Uh, so we finally went and did our full-length record. happened um, just last year. So we put out our full-length record eight years later. And uh, we just played a couple small shows, but nothing really. Like, everyone's got jobs. Everyone's grown up now. So it's not a, it's not a whole career builder, but we're called uh, The Weekend Kids. So if you ever look that up on Spotify or Apple Music or Google Play, you can, you can find our latest <laughs> record there. It's called End of an Era. But uh, yeah, I played a bunch of music and, and, and this is going to make a lot of sense later on my whole <laughs> career path, but it never made sense then. But we played music. We did our whole thing, uh, did a couple tours, um, did all of our own merch and learned all this kind of stuff about how to market your own creative ideas out there. And, and throughout that, I, I ended up going to school at uh, Grant McEwen um, as an illustrator. So I went and took the illustration program um, and graduated there in about mid-2000s as, as an illustrator designer. And then past that point, it was sort of like, 
yeah, I could draw all the time, but you don't really get money or <laughs> it's hard to make a career as an illustrator at the time, especially without any sort of history. So I ended up um, working in magazines. Um, I started a magazine called Parlor Magazine back then in 2006, I want to say. And it was um, it was sort of like a local Edmonton fashion music thing. And it was because my business partner at the time, she had a lot of these connections with Universal Music and all these fashion designers and stuff like that. And we did one of the first we did the actually the first magazine cover for lady gaga back in oh, 2006 wow. um and i had no idea who she was <laughs> she was in edmonton opening up for new kids on the block at reds wow if you guys ever knew what reds oh, was no it was in west ed i think it's like ed's bowling oh, and crap yeah. now but it used to be called reds and it was like uh lady it was gaga a cool spot that? yeah 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 she wow. opened for new kids on the block or no she opened for new kids on the block at the coliseum like the uh, coliseum and then she did her own show at reds and then we had this in and and uh, all the universal rep that we were working with, uh, John uh, John Dunham, he was just like, she's going to be the next big thing. And I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know. <laughs> and I, and uh, we took a chance and we did a photo shoot with her, um, put her on the cover, did a whole story. And uh, the funny story was that like, we didn't know she was going to make it big. So we had a lot of caveats who were like, okay, if we're going to do this, you need to like wear local designer clothing. So like, Anything you wear on this cover has to be made from Edmonton. So we gave her a bunch of local designers to choose from. And she was wicked cool. And she tried on all this local clothes. And she actually ended up purchasing a bunch of it and wearing it on tour later. And uh, we had these great shots of her. And uh, literally, like, within that next month, she went from being, like, a nobody to, like, one of the biggest stars in the world. Like crazy overnight yeah. almost. It Would seemed. you say Lady Gaga owns part of her success to, to you guys <laughs> in Edmonton? I don't know because I almost <laughs> didn't. The thing is, the funny thing is we learned so much from that is that we didn't position ourselves as a magazine to be able to capitalize on that kind of success. And this is one of the biggest things that I learned. So I don't know if it contributed to my success, but it contributed to how you can fail by being successful um, and not being prepared for it. So we weren't prepared for it. We didn't understand how to license photos. So there was a big sort of like mix up on who owns the photos, who makes money from the photos. And when you're that, when I was starting off, it's like, we just want to make cool shit. Right? So we're going to make cool stuff and we want it to be successful. But like, we know how to manage that success. And the, ultimately the magazine didn't work out because we honestly, we weren't paying writers properly. We weren't paying photographers properly. And when we made money, where's that money go? And we was, it was just, we screwed it all up. And uh, that was a huge learning. And after that, I sort of was like, okay, like, straight out of school. I don't know how to run a magazine. So I um, ended up working in a bunch of different magazines. I was an art director for View Weekly for a long time. And that really taught me about the hustle of knowing where money goes and how money's dealt and, and what it actually means to run a business. Uh, and I kind of saw that firsthand by how the business was run. Um, and then from then on, I uh, was an art director at View Weekly. And then I moved on to be an art director at um, Avenue Magazine for a while. And that sort of solidified my my learning in my life as a as an art director moving forward and then that kind of spiraled where i'm at now but uh it's definitely based on a lot of failures and and how i didn't want to go through that process of not understanding how to run a business because it's more than just about creativity right so so what was your your path like from like working for magazines as our director to getting into the marketing world and working at a marketing agency now? Yeah. So yeah, that's a weird thing. And it'll circle back way back too in a funny way is that um, with magazines, I was, I was, I had this mentality of uh, print design, which is what I like to do and what I understood because it's permanent. It's on a sheet of paper and you, you put it out there, you print it, and then you move on to the next project. And that's what I was used to. We were pumping out 20 different photo shoots and, and illustration jobs every month and just doing that for years and years and years and years. And then um, there's, there's a realization that, that uh, print, especially uh, in publication world, isn't doing as well as it, it should because it's business models kind of based on this old school thinking that, that didn't revolutionize with like memes and, and Twitter and the social media and that kind of stuff never kind of caught up. And there was like a strange little position where, um, they were trying to build content that was relevant on a monthly basis while internet and news stories were doing daily content. So how do you keep up with that? And there's a disconnect between the, the sort of sales model of the magazine compared to the sales model of the internet. And I feel like magazines never really bridged that gap appropriately. Um, and I still don't know if it has. 
Um, so at that point, it was a decision on if I wanted to kind of keep creative and I wanted to grow as an as a creative, I needed to kind of shift my focus in the type of business I worked in. Um, so I reached out to um, some people I knew in the industry, and um, Berlin Communications being one of them. I knew um, I knew Michael and Justin, the partners at uh, Berlin, in a, in a couple different ways. I've met Justin in a bunch of professional settings where we were uh, reviewing portfolios at Grant McEwen or doing all these sort of creative um, outlets on, on a business level. And then I'm, I knew Michael because um, playing in my band, we were both in the punk community to some degree. So I'd see Michael in a bunch of punk, different punk shows and stuff. So when I was thinking like, um, I want to move to an agency, but I want to move to an agency where I understand the people. I was like, this is, this is the place. So I literally, they were looking for a designer um, a senior designer to join the team, but I'm like, I'm, I'm an art director, not, not a designer. So then I went and just sat down with Michael and I was like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I think could be valuable for Berlin as a company. And they completely agreed and they took me under and I was able to kind of create like a, a role here. I was able to create a role here as a, as an art director and then build myself up uh, to ultimately be the creative director in a place that sort of understood marketing at a different level than just, trying to make a big marketing agency like these guys had a mentality that was a little bit different so i spent you know uh what is it now almost just about three 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 years and a bit working with them on a, and this is a whole new world for me like i came from publishing uh over to a world where we're, we're working with these large campaigns that instead of instead of 20 projects a month we're doing 20 in a couple of years like i might do a handful or, or, or more in a, in a year so the pacing is completely different um and then during my time here too, I was, uh, I kind of got involved with Sea Change Brewing Company, which is a whole different thing. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that later. But yeah, yeah, know. <laughs> I'm just kind of going on. But. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess when we when we met too at the Ace um, Student Networking Night this year, you were talking about. Uh, I want to hear more about the robot story too. The robot story, like yeah. the the project, that, the little project we were working on. Yeah, let's go. Let's go to the start of that project and then kind of yeah. how it unfolded. Yeah, I think there's a there's sort of like um a, a, in an agency world or in in any sort of creative aspect where you where you're working with clients, it's like there's a sort of like a trifecta of things that needs to just work out to make a really awesome project happen, and um, it's like a client that's willing to spend a lot of money to some degree be creative and trust you. Those are three things that are very hard to come by. And have you guys ever seen those like Venn diagrams where it's just like <laughs> these three things, like, like you get to, it's not really a Venn diagram. It's like, you can't have all three. You know what I yeah, mean? It's like, yeah. you want it fast, cheap or good. You know what I mean? And this is one of those rare instances where we sort of got a little bit of that. Like we didn't really go cheap, but we were able to do something cool. So the, um, it was quite a unique project. So a little bit of background is um, there's a company called, shine and um face value they don't seem that interesting they're a commercial cleaning company uh what they do is basically take accounts like malls or really big warehouses and they mobilize a bunch of uh, cleaners to keep these places like spake and span um which is fine uh but one of the coolest things that they were moving forward with was this robot cleaner and what i'm talking about is like uh like a three four feet tall um, sort of like Roomba, like iRobot thing that's going to like clean your whole warehouse in a couple of hours. So they had like a fleet of these guys, but these guys were, um, they look a little bit terrifying because they're like, <laughs> they're automated, right? Like they don't, you know, one's controlling them. They're going on their own. They're mapping things out and they're cleaning the floors and they're doing the whole thing. Um, so what they wanted to do is like market this product as a, as something that can like revolutionize your your industry. And and the the cool thing is that they weren't trying to get rid of jobs when it came to people. Their differentiation was like this robot is going to do the work that people don't want to do, right? Like scrubbing floors so that their employees that are people could do the fine details like detailing windowsills or detailing like warehouse uh, racking or whatever it is. So they had this whole um this whole reason why this robot's going to come in and, and revolutionize like how you run your business. Um, the only thing is that like we needed to find a way to make it so that it didn't seem so imposing that this, this robot was going to come in. So what we came up with with the client was that this robot, we need to give it a personality. So when we were talking about it, it was like, like, like Wally or like R2D2. There's all these characters that are, that are super endearing to us as, as um, 
people who enjoy videos or pop culture or whatever. So like we need to give this character a name and a personality and personify it as like a like in a like a really part of the team kind of aspect. So what we were we wanted to do was how do we get this in front of the people that matter? So they wanted to target a bunch of warehouses, mostly warehouses that are you know like massive massive warehouses like amazon factories is what they're going for and like how do you get an amazon factory to to even look twice at you and it's not uh it's not going to work for us to send a business card and a and like a pamphlet or whatever right like it's just not going to so the idea was we're going to make a short film about a robot that becomes employee of the month at ultra shine and um the way we're going to get your attention is we're going to send it on ipad so you're going to get an ipad in the mail and the iPad's going to play this video. And then what comes with the iPad is is um, a resume for the robot, which we named him Bob. We gave him a name. So, Bob, you get his um, Employee of the Month card. You get his resume, which is basically his spec sheet. And then you get, like, sort of this rundown on why he's part of the team and what he's doing. And then this video was a short film about this robot that essentially does his job and goes to work. And... Um, uh, at first, he's not. He's part of the team, but he's not integrated with the team. So you see, like all these people uh, in like a meeting room getting employee of the month, and they're doing this thing, and they're clapping, and they're happy. And there's this robot kind of just passing by doing his job. <laughs> but the thing is, this guy, this is what this is what he does. So he keeps doing his job, and then he starts, you know, pushing through and meeting people and being friends with the, the staff. And then there's this like heartwarming end of the video where he makes friends with this this other um, employee, and she wins employee of the month and she sees him on the other side of the glass watching her and he's happy for her. Right. Um, and then she, uh, you know, puts up a photo of him on the wall and she's like, yeah, he's employee of the month with me. So it's just like this really fun thing. And it's, when you think about it, it's super absurd and it was a uh, super expensive. We had, um, we had a really awesome media team, uh, to produce it. And we used, um, a bunch of guys that just finished filming ghostbusters down in Calgary and and drum heller they just finished wrapping up and they came in to film this thing so we had like a top-notch film crew um from alberta for all the films and then we brought in a director from vancouver sean lawless who did a bunch of really awesome projects uh canada wide and he we flew him in to kind of do this project and we realized this idea and made it happen within two days of like it was like maybe 15 16 hours a day to get it done and we're doing multiple locations and we're working with this robot that like is autonomous so you can't tell it what to do <laughs> so what we had to do is get this uh this guy to come in and rig him and like override this this autonomous robots system so oh that God. we can control him with the remote control <laughs> yeah hack the robot <laughs> <laughs> yeah hack the robot essentially <laughs> and put all these mechanics in him and then we also didn't want to avoid the robot because these things were they're ridiculously priced they're super expensive right and like if we opened them up we'd be screwed so <laughs> we had to get this guy to build a rig that we can hide within this within the system and do a little bit of movie magic and like um with projects like this it's it's super interesting um on a debrief level where we we went and we did it and we filmed it and it was done and it was great but then the more i think about it the more it was just like what if we didn't get that crew what if we didn't get that director what if we couldn't override a system there's all these things that were like any of those things could have killed the project completely and we were able to <laughs> We were able to see through it because I think the the big idea is the kind of focusing on where the finish line is, and then every path in the way is just a matter of problem solving, and um, yeah, it's just it was just a wild project in general to kind of pitch and, and make happen. What was the turnout like? Like, what was the conversion rate in, in actual businesses adopting we're, the system? We're still waiting. Really? So this launched um, end of November. Okay. Yeah. So that was sent out. So we're kind of still waiting, and we're we're gonna see. Uh, we we put it out there for a couple awards and stuff. So I don't know, like go too far, but maybe maybe we won't win anything. Maybe we'll win a couple of things. Who knows? Is this video public anywhere? Like the short film that people? Not yet, not okay. yet. But I think we will end up posting it. We we're waiting to to make sure that it doesn't get out there before, because we want it to be like a surprise. And then the cool thing is that like the whole system was. We didn't want it to feel like it was a bribery, like they're going to get an iPad for free. <laughs> I mean, most people who are getting these are like not concerned about an iPad. They're running pretty large companies. But um, we built in a charity element to it too, where um, you get this thing and you can donate the, the value of the iPad to a, to a charity. 
and then we'll work with the with Ultrashine to to make that process happen, and then put it under the name of the company we sent it to. So that was a nice little element to yeah, that's really cool. even the playing field and not not make a bribe out of it. Sounds awesome. <laughs> what was on this guy's resume? Like the bot. Oh the man, bot. it was funny. It was just like it was like the capabilities. So. <laughs> Actually, I have I have a thing if you guys want to see it. I don't know if it, it doesn't work on a on, on a you know like a, a podcast. podcast level, but it was neat. It was like this little illustration of him, and it's like how fast he can clean like this much square footage of space. And and this is a self-contained robot too, so he'd scrub the floor, mop it, and then clean up the the waste. And then he had a reservoir to keep all the dirty stuff, and then he'll dump it. So. You can clean a mall in like a couple hours or something. You know? That's wild. Yeah, we'll have to like <laughs> post that resume on our social media or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to take a photo of it, it's pretty yeah, funny. Might, yeah, yeah. And it's a full package too. Like it came in a came in a box with like a branded cover, and it was a full experience. And there was like wallpaper on the iPad that led you to the icon to open the video. And the cool thing is, we used um, uh, a program called DocSend, which is um, allows us to track where these files are. So eventually, when we get the data. We could see um, where we sent the iPad to, when it was open, how long they engaged with the video, and then sort of what the follow-up was. And there was a thank you card that went with it. So the idea is that hopefully they found it interesting enough to kind of share with their staff. Um, it kind of stands out compared to other stuff that they might get in the mail. Pretty sure it's going to stand out. <laughs> <laughs> and then hopefully they, you know, whether they're ready or not for it, that they would reach out at some point, or at least remember to reach out when it comes around. So that's kind of the idea. <laughs> that, is a, that is a wild case. Like, <laughs> just thinking about everything that went into that. And it's, it's cool how that all kind of worked out, like the perfect storm of marketing. Oh, like, totally. And and I mean, I've, um, like, I try to be realistic about it, but I try not to let, the obstacles change what I want to accomplish. You know what I mean? What you want to accomplish because there's always a solution. I, I think the majority of what I do um, when it comes down to it is kind of, it's creative problem solving. Like if you want to do this, how do you make that all happen? And that's how you work backwards. And I can't take all the credit for it. We, we hire the right people to find the solutions to those things. Right. And then it's just like, you can't let those obstacles bog you down from the, the ultimate goal. funny most people don't really think of all the things that go into marketing like we learn in school like all oh, these are the marketing tools and so i have to yeah I have to figure out to make a successful marketing campaign work but like yeah, in the, in four p's we use <laughs> exactly so in a campaign like this one like there's so many random things like rigging a robot that that has to work for you to make a campaign work out it's just funny that there's no really perfect recipe for a marketing yeah, campaign there's no textbook that'll help you with that one nope <laughs> yeah and there is a level of just failure like we could have done all these things right and maybe when we didn't get the video <laughs> who knows right and uh you can't let that get to you because if that's what drives the creative for it you'll never be able to get there i, I always see it as in like you should always think about something that's beyond your grasp because there's always going to be obstacles that drag you back down and if you reach further than you, you you can then you'll always end up with something that you can reach but it's it's always a bummer when you reach for something that's really close and then it gets pulled back to a point where it's like not even exciting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you should always go further than you can. What about um I'm thinking like what about failures in marketing? Have you had like big ones before where for like something's gone like terribly wrong and you have to pull yourself out of that? Or <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard one. I yeah. you know, like the only failures that I've experience and I don't really want to call it like clients or anything in particular, but the only failures I found were the ones where you did sell yourself short. You know what I mean? Where you're like, okay, we're going to do what the client wants because like it's not worth the amount of effort to convince them to do something different. And then you start making these compromises that were, weren't the best compromises and you end up with a product that was mediocre or wasn't successful. And you're like, fuck, I, sh I, I should have done something better. I should have tried a little bit harder. So any, it, 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 there's a lot of factors to failures, but I think the biggest factor is just not trying hard enough and, and not pushing hard enough or not being persistent enough on the sale of that concept. Have you ever reached for like a super ambitious project that didn't really work out like the way you wanted to? You know what? There's always some degree of failure all the time because you're, you'll never, 
you'll never reach what you want all the time. That sounds like a bummer, but it's kind of <laughs> true. It's like you, you work with so many different people. You rely on so many different people that like you have to evaluate what success is and what success is isn't always what I imagine. It's it's kind of like the culmination of everyone's efforts. And I think that alone is a success to be able to even get from like the beginning to the end without anyone like getting completely pissed off or like anything blowing up. That's a huge success. But um, I don't know if there's one that's completely wrong. I, I know that there are things that didn't quite pan out, but I think if your head is in the right place, you'll never fail that hard. You'll be disappointed, but you won't fail that hard. <laughs> You're dropping some good gems here. Yeah. I do. I do a quote of the day and I can only think of like a, a few like success and isn't always what you imagine it to be. Your head's in the right space. Like it is not really a failure. <laughs> Man, you just keep dropping gems. This is awesome. Yeah, you can have them all. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's get back on the success train and let's talk about um, your time at Sea Change and how that's kind of evolved over the years. Yeah, so this is sort of like a big roundabout way to get back to the beginning. Sea um, Change was where it's at because literally about 10, 10, 12 years ago when I was playing in bands, I met a lot of really cool people who were in a bunch of really cool bands. And one of the things that I learned is that you don't think about it, but as a band, you're marketing yourself and branding yourself in a way that like no one else has to go through ever in their whole life. So you're in this process of like, I got to write a song that I believe in. I got to write a song that's catchy that people are going to like. And then I got to try to get people to, like it enough to keep listening to more music, buy merchandise that you have to design, buy your album, and then stick with you for how many albums after that. And then you're going to have to do that in every city that you visit and tour. And if anything, that's a, that's a marketing lesson. And the only, buddy, the only person that you can blame for your success is yourself and the people that you work with in the band. So the funny thing is I was uh, playing a band and we met all these other cool bands that we played with over the years. And the funny thing was that you don't make enough money as a band, so you're always trying to find other ways to make money. So I was doing design work. I was doing merchandising for other bands. I was doing T-shirt designs. I was doing album design. And then I had other people who were like, we're working in bars. We're going to bartend at this place that we play at all the time. And you're doing all these things to make money so that you can keep doing music because your passion is the music. And then 10 years later, um, you kind of keep in touch with these people. And like some of the people I knew were um, working in breweries, and they were they ended up working in like operations for brewing or they ended up working in hospitality where they're running bars and running restaurants. And then I'm running marketing and design for a bunch of things as well. So then when there's an opportunity to be like, maybe we can open up our own brewery. They, we sort of like a bunch of guys that I knew from bands 10 years ago, kind of all got together being like, I'm good at this. You're good at this. And it was like an oceans 11 setup. <laughs> but it's like, who do we know that could do this really well? And then all of a sudden we have this ownership group of people who are, all love beer because we all played in bands and that's all we do is drink beer. <laughs> and then we're old enough to a point where we're not going to drink ourselves out of business <laughs> so we can keep our head on straight. And then we all have the skills to build our own tap room, to run our own operations, to market our own product, to build our own merchandise. And then we were able to make this sort of perfect company. And we didn't know it at the time how successful it was going to be, but we had all the skills to create a successful brewery um, kind of accidentally based off of the fact that we played music 10 11 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and that that's basically what it was. It was all these guys who got together and we created this brand. Um, and we didn't have to search for this brand. The brand was completely connected to the music we used to play, uh, connected to the shows that we used to do and the business that we used to run as a bunch of punk rock guys 10 years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask where the, where the name Sea Change came from. Totally. That's, that's an even completely unrelated thing. <laughs> but what, what happened was like we, the biggest part of our branding and marketing is that like we didn't want to associate our brand with just one thing. And um, if you think about uh, all of our branding is based off of music. And if you think about the most weird, successful, but unsuccessful ones are you don't ever want to be a one hit wonder band where you have this one good thing and that's all people rely on. And when you don't do that anymore, no one cares about you. But we thought about it uh, kind of in a holistic level of like, um, we want people to remember the band name. We want people to like the singles or the beers we put out. But we want people to associate 
with the band or with the brewery as a as a brand that people connect with so that when you build a piece of merchandise you can put whatever the hell you want on it, it doesn't matter because people aren't associating your brand with the logo they're associating it with the whole general idea and that's kind of how we built it up so the name sea change was kind of funny because our our main founding guy who really pushed us to make this brewery happen because it didn't make sense for us to open up a brewery <laughs> but he really pushed for it he grew up on a boat called the sea change uh when he was living out in victoria and that's a that's a whole weird story the funny thing is in edmonton we have nothing to do with the sea we have nothing to do with like a boat um but it kind of gave us this weird thing where we're going to market something that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that's fun and yeah. it kind of it kind of helped us in a way that it, it because it didn't make we could have been like we could have been like alberta brewery you know what i mean yeah. and then weirdly enough that could be boring that is interesting because i remember <laughs> the first time i saw sea change i was sitting at the next act pub yeah and i remember like looking at the taps they had and i was like i was like sea change like it was the first one i saw and i was like that is so weird. Like, why would they call it sea change? Yeah. Like we're in Alberta, but yeah, that makes a lot of it sense. Sounds be like oil country beer. Totally. Or, yeah. <laughs> Alberta crude stout. And or it, something. <laughs> it really helped us out because we didn't, we weren't competing with other people trying to be Alberta centric. Um, but the thing is it had a lot to do with who, who we were to some degree. And, and the biggest lesson it taught me was that like, it really, honestly really doesn't matter what you're called. As long as you can find a way to communicate what it is. And like, you can communicate it however you feel like it. You can control that language. So um, the good thing is everyone thought we were a West Coast beer and West Coast makes some amazing beer. So <laughs> we weren't, that wasn't problematic with us at all. But the thing is like no one else is going to compete with us on like a nautical theme ever in Alberta. That's true. <laughs> so we stand out just based off of that. Cool. You, you might already kind of described it a little bit, uh, but if you had to uh, describe your brand in like a few sentences... How would you how would you go about doing that? I would say that our brand is based off of music, and I mean that's a pretty general way to say it. But the the good thing about music is that it's it's ever changing and ever growing, and it and what it all comes down to is like this this uh, idea of attaching yourself to something. And when a person likes a band, they kind of like what that band represents. And I think as a brand, we want people to to associate with us in that way. Or we're going to represent something of them that they can't get somewhere else. Pretty cool. Have you guys done any like sort of communication efforts where you guys kind of try to push that message or have you guys not done anything like that yet? I feel like the more we think about it, the worse we get at it. So we try <laughs> to think as little as possible. I mean, for, for right now, we're quite young. I know there's going to be a point where we're going to have to really nail down our messaging. But right now, um, and like knock on wood, I don't know where any wood is, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Right now we've 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 had zero salespeople. We don't have any salespeople. We don't really have people working specifically for marketing. Um, what we focus on is our connections with the community. So we utilize the community, we utilize our connections with music. And the bottom line is we make the best beer we can make. Um, so we use the best ingredients we can find, which luckily enough, most of it comes from Alberta, which is fantastic. And uh, we rest on the fact that like we don't want to be a Canadian brewery. We want to be an Edmonton brewery. We want to be like an Edmonton area. We want to be very specific to this community. And um, it kind of worked out in our favor for now. And yeah, we don't want it right now. We don't have control over getting like a, a sales team to come in and mis maybe misrepresent us to some degree. We're not ready for that yet. And we're, we're pretty young. So we're going to try to control it as much as possible as far as our ownership grows and our reputation in the community. And then what we ideally, what we'd like to do is be able to, to garner that sort of community aspect and get people like-minded like us to work for us. And then we can grow our brand a little bit more. Um, I was just going to say too, like how, how do you think you guys leverage the community the best? Like what kind of initiatives do you think were like the most successful? I think, it's all about authenticity. It's all about, um, we don't try to be something that we're not because I think that we would hate ourselves if we did. So what we try to do is um, when we talk about like leveraging the community, it's like we want to participate as much as we can. Um, so one of the things we do with Edmonton is that because we know music so well and we know all the venues and we know all the people and 
a ton of people we know are bringing in big bands and stuff. We've done a bunch of secret shows that we put on someone, you know, in like a in a venue, a friend's venue or whatever. We we brought in like Our Lady Peace to play our secret show with us once. We brought in um, a bunch of different people just to kind of come in and do these really special things that make Edmonton feel a little bit more exciting than your normal. <laughs> and I think what we the best thing is we never try to do something that we're not comfortable with. It's not out of our wheelhouse to do these sort of things. It's not out of our wheelhouse to to enjoy these little um, different aspects of the community. So I think the biggest thing is to be authentic because I think people can tell that when you're not really easily and you can't keep it up. And we're we're thinking about longevity with the brand, and um, and that's why we try not to think so hard about it. It's like what would I think would be really cool if I saw a beer company do, and then we would do that thing. So we're one of the things that we're doing is we're running a. Um, a music festival in our back parking lot. So we have, they let us put 1300 people in our back parking lot, which is insane. Um, we've never really run anything like that like before. Like at your Edmonton location? Yeah, Edmonton location. Wow. So we've never had people back there. Yeah. But like now we're allowed to run this like huge music festival. And we just launched it a couple of weeks ago um, during the new year. Um, so we got a bunch of bands that we knew uh, and it's huge. It's like it's some pretty big bands and we're going to serve beer there. and We're going to have people outside and it's just all about music. And about drinking, which is basically the crux of what we do. Sounds like a good time to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that to us is a community move. We've had people who are buying tickets from like Toronto that are flying in just to go see the show. And I think that they're not coming in. I mean, they're going to come in, they're going to drink the beer, but they're not coming because of the beer. They're coming because of the fact that we're bringing this cool thing to Edmonton. And I think that's something that's authentic to us and Honestly, if it was someone else trying to, another brewery trying to do the same thing, they might not be as successful. I'm not sure. It just depends on how connected they are. And I think it's all about authenticity. And I think in this sort of climate, people are hyper aware of what you're selling them. And it would be a disservice to our brand if we tried to do something that was out of our comfort zone. I think you get sniffed out, you get called out like crazy. Oh, yeah. So you got to be authentic. And what we want to try to do is think as little as possible. And kind of build our brand based off of this like gut reaction to what we think is cool and what we think is going to be exciting. You you briefly mentioned um, longevity, and um, obviously, if you guys keep doing what you're doing, I feel like you guys are going to be pretty noticeable in the city and then around around the community. But what would you say like your your long term goals goals are for for Sea Change? What your Man, vision? I guess that's hard to say. I mean, the bottom line is we want to be as integrated as possible. We want to grow with the community as much as possible. So. We want to be able to, I mean, first and foremost, create beer that has legs. So in the beer community and almost any sort of like um, any sort of any sort of business that caters to taste, what you want to be is classic, but also cutting edge at the same time. So we never want to be that beer that only makes one kind of beer and it's outdated and might not be exciting in five years or 10 years or whatever. So we always want to be always creating and always trying something new. And I think one of the biggest strengths that we're going to bring into this is to understand that we have no clue what's going to happen in five years. But what we want to do is is be as in touch with the community, changing as much as possible, and trying to figure out how we fit in that that world um, and still be authentic. So I don't know what's going to happen in five years. I know that we want to keep doing what we're doing, but we know as a fact that at this point, we're sort of the new kids on the block, essentially but we're not going to be the new kids on the block in five years or 10 years. So we have to understand that we have to keep revolutionizing how we approach these sort of marketing values. And we, like I said, we haven't had any salespeople, but that's not a deliberate move. It's just what's working for now. But I think the best thing that we have in our ownership group is the understanding that we'll always be challenged because we challenged a bunch of people who've been around for years by doing things that they never saw coming and we have no doubt that in a couple of years, there's going to be some young punks that are going to come in and just like <laughs> make us feel old. So we're always going to have to be on that edge and always have to be figuring out what's next for us and what's next for the community. Is that like intimidating to you or is that just like part of the fun? It's intimidating, but it's exciting in a way that it makes us, I think if we, if we thought we were the best and we just like figured it out and it's done, we've done our <laughs> job. The secret sauce. That's scary. That's <laughs> really scary. So we're, we don't think we're that great. We never thought we were ever that great. We just know what we do and what we like. And we just need to be able to understand that like, you know, we got to grow with the community or we're going to be screwed. Yeah. 
what's your favorite beer from sea change like are you sick of it by now like <laughs> that's a that's a fun i mean the cool thing is that we embrace uh, like i personally embrace a lot of what the community is bringing for it so i like trying all these other different beers but when it comes to our own brand my favorite beer right now is the wolf if you guys ever had it it's like our it's our most expensive beer to make mostly because it uses like the best ingredients and a very particular variety of hops that you have to get from very particular places ultimately becomes a very difficult beer to brew um but it's one of the big ones that we really pushed on and our head brewer really was adamant that we put this beer through and we not because we did but we wanted we won um most hoppy sessional beer uh, sessionable beer awards at the alberta beer awards kind of six months into opening up and that was sort of like a you know a nice pat on the back that we're doing the right thing but i think that's one of our best beers just because it uses such amazing ingredients and it's sort of palatable in a way that like new beer drinkers can jump onto it but also these like hardcore beer nerds can feel really good <laughs> about liking as well so it's sort of like it hit that sweet spot where we're like engaging both communities um all together and i i don't think that comes by as often so we're i'm really proud of that and i that's one of my favorite ones to drink yeah and you can get a you can get a tattoo of the wolf too <laughs> and then i think it's like every wednesday you get half off your yeah, beer. yeah, yeah it's like really? there's been like four or five people i've seen that have like a wolf tattoo and it's like literally their logo like printed in ink on totally them. yeah <laughs> that's so, so funny yeah so. we had this idea and like our our labels and our brand has always been a little bit tattoo focused and it wasn't necessarily because tattoos are cool for us, but it's the idea that like tattoos are always classic and I'll never go, kind of go out of fashion, especially the old school stuff. So when we made this label for the wolf, we were like, this is, this is kind of fun. And, and our head brewer, he never had a tattoo before. And we were out in Victoria doing a collaboration brew with Phillips brewing out in Victoria. And uh, you know, we had a couple, a couple too many and we're like, Taylor, you're going to have to get your first tattoo. <laughs> and we just won that award. And we're like, okay, like we know what you're going to get. Is that if we won, you said if you won that award, you're going to get a tattooed. So the next morning he got a tattoo of the wolf. And one of the the cool things we did is we didn't really care about um, the branding. So it doesn't say sea change on it at all. It's just a wolf. And it doesn't mean anything to anybody unless you give it meaning. So when we were trying to figure out like how do we make how do we engage our community a little bit more um, and, and get them to come out on a, on a day that we initially weren't, we weren't open on Wednesdays very often. So we started opening on Wednesdays and we're like, how do we get more people to come around and, and kind of hang out and, and be part of our, our crew and, and enjoy our beer a little bit more. And we're like, you know what, let's just like, as a joke, sort of as a joke, put something out there to be like, if you tattoo this brand on you and we don't want you to write sea change on it, doesn't matter. Then if you get it, we'll give you a 50% off your bill on on wednesdays we called it wolf wednesdays or whatever <laughs> right it's pretty ridiculous and like we had no idea how many people would go out and get it and we honestly it didn't matter if anyone went out and get it i think the idea is that like kind of making this bold statement that if you get permanently tattooed with our brand will help you out and like literally within that week i know that someone got it done literally the next day they booked an appointment and got it done the next day. Always looking for a deal. Totally. Yeah. And the cool thing is that, yeah, we didn't get them to put sea change on them. And to me, that was like, it works perfectly well because no one's going to miss, like other people might miss, they might not know it's a sea change thing, but to the person who got tattooed, they're going to tell people exactly why they got that tattooed and why they're proud of it. And I think that that's invaluable, you know, getting someone to write sea change on them or like there's a bunch was at ca casinos got people like tattoo like the casino name on their foreheads oh, really? or something crazy Jeez. like that and it gets a little bit tacky because it's like a little bit too on the nose yeah but i think with the wolf brand we're creating like a brand tattoo and not necessarily like a logo tattoo um and i i honestly think there's at least 15 maybe 20 people that are set for that right now which is insane <laughs> that's so funny yeah um, i don't even have a wolf tattoo it's I want to switch focus to the actual image of your your beer and your cans because you said you do all the design behind behind the cans and everything. Yeah. How yeah. do you go about? Because I'm sure you guys like know what flavor, what's gonna taste like, and everything. Yeah. How do you go from that to actually designing the can, what's gonna look like to to people who are gonna consume it? I think the the thing that we've been successful in is not to think 
like I've said before, we don't think too hard about this whole thing. We, we, um, as much as we want to associate the artwork with the flavor of the beer, I think in the market that we're in now, it's really not about showing what the beer is going to taste like because people know it by the descriptor. People are a little bit more educated on what beer is now. And I think the biggest thing you can do is like get people to associate with your beer as much as possible on a branding level and not on a, a product level. Um, for instance, like uh, there's, if you have like a strawberry beer, say for instance, I mean like the, the most obvious thing you could do is make a strawberry on the label, which I don't think is a bad idea, but if there's other strawberry beers and, and beers are usually made in like, what's, what's the most interesting flavor at the time. And you're going to be on the shelf with a bunch of other beers that have strawberries on the label talking about a strawberry beer. It's kind of redundant. So like, how do you separate yourself from the visual? And I think it's just to associate like, what's the feeling you want to provide for that beer. Um, and just to kind of have fun, just to kind of get people to think twice about whether they want to pick that beer up or not. And I, I think the less we think about it, the better. I, I remember there's a, there's a funny story. We put out a, a beer, it's called the Irish Red Ale. And it was funny because we had this opportunity to do green beer for, for St. Patrick's Day. And like in the brewing community, that's pretty like not cool. Really? <laughs> like to dye a bunch of beer green. <laughs> it's just like not the coolest move as a, as a craft brewery. So we're like, well, you know what? We have this really great recipe for uh, an Irish red ale, which is this dark caramel flavored beer. Uh, super opposite to like a, a lager that's been dyed green. And we're like, it's it's an Irish red ale, and that's the style of beer. And we're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna try this out. We're gonna put it in a bottle, and we're gonna put it out exclusively. We put it out at Next Act, which is one of our first big accounts too. And we're gonna put it out on St. Patrick's Day as the alternative, right? And we put in these big bombers, so they're I think they're 650 milliliter bomber bottles. And we're like, and you know, you can have a pint of green beer, or you can have this like artisanal, cool Irish red ale. And it's a lot more Irish than anything. And and we were like, well, what are we going to do for the artwork for it? Because we need to make a label. We need to make a brand for it. And we, we just like couldn't figure out what to do. And I was just like, we're riffing a bunch of crazy weird ideas. And we ended up with this like idea of uh, of like a snake and like a Celtic knot. I'm like, man, that's cool. That sounds great. Let's do it. It's called Irish Ale. It's got a snake. It's in an Irish knot. It's going to look cool. And that's all we thought about it. And my wife saw the label and she's like, cool. It's like when St. Patrick drove the snakes out, right? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and I forgot that whole thing. And we like completely didn't understand that. And I honestly don't think anyone who looked at that brand ever thought about it that way. Maybe my wife was the only one. Maybe there's a couple people who figured that out, but it was never our intent. And our only intent was to make something that looked kind of cool. And like, that's like the worst branding sort of um, <laughs> story ever because you shouldn't do things that just look cool. But I think that's when we sort of figured out that like if we associate with like a style and when our style just ended up being like this, this tattoo kind of punk rock vibe is that you tell people what you represent. And I think that's strong enough. And, and, and instead of being too um, prescriptive on what they're buying into, it makes it more authentic. And our stupidity was super authentic for that whole label <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I feel like we gotta give a bit of background. Do you know the story about St. Patrick? I just learned it this summer in Dublin. Yeah, but I, I don't actually. It's pretty much like St. Patrick is thought to have come to Ireland and like got rid of all the snakes, which means like pretty much all the bad people, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that and like, with the snake and the Celtic thing would have meant oh, like yeah. it's pretty tough, dude. Yeah. And then the funnier thing, super unrelated, that we found out that the Irish Red Ale, uh, like the acronym is IRA. Oh yeah, like, and we're like, wait, like we don't want to associate with the IRA. <laughs> but, I mean, like those are like sort of like the weird coincidences that came out of that label. There's some heavy uh, Irish beers actually. I was there in the summer. <laughs> like some of the Irish red ales are. I remember having years, and it's like really tasty and a bit more user friendly than like. I remember having one. I think it was um, I forget the name, but I just remember like this is such a thick beer. Like some yeah. of the beers in Ireland <laughs> yeah, are like yeah, so yeah. thick. It's crazy. We have uh, we've been lucky. Like our head brewer uh, Taylor Falk, he's been amazing in the fact that he's able to somehow balance flavor 
without ruining like your taste buds. Yeah. So you don't get the like, lingering heaviness of like all these heavier beers. And he can make like um he can make like a stout or something a little bit heavier and like not have it bog you down that much. Yeah, I find sometimes craft beer like loses that aspect of like keeping the taste like approachable still because it was like for a while there it was like how hoppy can you get this idea? You want to blast like your that. taste buds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a tough thing to balance and it's I don't know how he does it. I don't understand brewing. I just <laughs> understand what I like to taste and what I like to drink. And for the most of it, a lot of people just want to drink a lot of something. And if you can make it easily drinkable, then they'll drink more of it, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, well, I think we've uh, we've kind of touched all bases. I feel like we could talk for a while, but I think we're kind of nearing the end. So um, before we end, shout out to Taylor Peary, too. I know he listens to some of the yeah. podcasts and he, yeah. and he works at Sea Change, too. So in case he's listening... Uh, Thanks for listening and thanks for coming on, Peter. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, me. And I'm gonna do a quick plug. Like, um, I'm not a I'm not a big beer drinker, but I just had a can of of Sea Change here, and the artwork on it looks awesome. And and big kudos to you for for making that happen. Oh, and the beer in it tastes even better. So definitely, uh, definitely check it out if you're interested. Yeah, the Prairie Ferry, and uh, what is the proceeds go to? The um, Fruit Loop Society. Uh, so the beer, even the name of it, uh, kind of came down to. The Fruit Loop Society giving us a, a sort of brand and and um, the Prairie Ferry in general is just a, a representation of the LGBTQ community in the in the Prairie region. You know what I mean? And uh, they really took the charge on pushing that beer out for us. And what we did was created this um, really nice balance um, of a wheat based beer with a lot of fruit flavors, without making like an over sugary thing or like an overly what some people might want to think as like a feminine beer, if there's such thing, but we kind of wanted to keep this balance that like anybody can enjoy this beer. Um, and then one of the things we do and we try not to, to push it too hard, but it's, you know, it's the, the crux of the beer is that we, we donate right off the top uh, 10% proceeds to this nonprofit for profit advocacy group that really pushes like these really awesome events for the LGBTQ community. And um, yeah, we're, we've been a partner with them for the last year and it's been, it's been just amazing how far we've we've been able to take it and we're hoping to to kind of push it even further for this next year. No, oh, that's awesome. Thanks for coming on, Pete. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>